when you, when you're uh, hanging it out there doing something that you really believe in that's often the sweetest part of the entrepreneurial journey hello everybody thank you for joining another episode of the i love entrepreneurship podcast today's guest is justin camp he is a writer with a heart for adventure he created the wire devotional for men and also co-founded gather ministries a nonprofit he runs with his wife prior to this he was a venture capitalist in silicon valley and a lawyer on wall street justin Jennifer and their three children live in San Francisco Bay Area. You're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's jump into it. Hey, Wyatt. Justin, hello. The little Yeti mic. Yeah. I have one too. Yeah, I hope that's helpful. No, yeah, it's perfect. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's yeah. a busy Monday, but uh, glad to be here with you. Oh, thank you. I, I kind of forgot it's a Monday. It kind of feels like later in the week. <laughs> All this stuff just rolls together. Oh, yeah. Especially like not not really leaving the home and, you know, not really yep, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But weekends don't feel like weekends anymore. It's just sort of no, you know, it's crazy. It doesn't. Hey, you went, to, uh, you went to the University of Arkansas. Yes, sir. My dad graduated from the University of Arkansas. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So you probably know what like the hog call is and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I've oh, I've yeah. I've been to the campus one time and I went to a football game. We played Clemson. Okay. Um, but uh, that was my well, and and then just living with you know living with my dad, watching a lot of Arkansas football on TV growing up. Still catch games now here and there, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it was really fun. Loved that place. Yeah, we've hit a rough spot during football, so uh, not not too good. We're kind of like the worst in the country, but that's okay. It happens. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Still pride. Yes. Still pride. Yeah, exactly. But all right, let's hop into things. So I I read the book. I read oh, it. awesome. Um, I uh, I decided I was gonna go ahead and you know try everything so i know you have the onboards and so i tried and did all of them um actually i was like so inspired that i read it at night i finished at night and the next day i was like hey i'm gonna go to um enchanted rock so that's about four hours from me and so i drove okay. all the way over there got there and you had to have a permit so i didn't get to go up it but i got to look oh, at it no. and but yeah it's it's kind of cool, like going on that little pilgrimage to see. It. That's awesome. I love hearing that. What is kind of your background, and then we can go into that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, um, so this is kind of my third career. So, uh, right out of school, I went and uh, you know uh, was a lawyer for a while. I was working in New York City. My wife and I were living in New York City. I was working at a Wall Street law firm, and you know it was. Uh, it was very exciting work in one regard and very mind numbing and boring from another. I don't think I was meant for that. I don't think God, when he was, you know, planning out Justin and, and yeah. was dreaming about the things that Justin would do was, would, was necessarily thinking about being a lawyer on wall street. And so there was some sadness and some discontent that started building up, it started small and, uh, and it, and it started to grow over time. Um, I think because of that discontent, I moved, my wife and I moved back to California. That's my home. We live in kind of the 
geographical center of Silicon Valley. And so we moved back here. It was, uh, you know, the middle of the, of the dot-com, you know, uh, craziness. And, uh, and I started investing in high tech companies, did that for about 15 years. And I thought that would solve the discontent. It didn't. Um, it, it, it solved it, you know, I think it took it down a little bit for a period of time, but then it started growing and growing about 10 years, 12 years in, I was kind of drowning in it, you know, forced to ask the question of, this is a job that a lot of people want. Um, you know, a lot of kids coming out of, you know, Stanford business school and Harvard business school wanted to be venture capitalists. And why, uh, why do I have to will myself out of bed on a Monday morning, you know, and, and I started finally getting into community with other men and those guys helped me ask those questions, not of culture anymore, but of God. And, and so what did you, you know, father to, to my father, God, what, who did you make me to be? And what did you dream that I would do with my life? And it was the craziest thing. I mean, he started answering, not, not in the ways that I expected. Um, you know, it'd come through, you know, a sermon or scripture or a conversation with my wife, but I started noticing that there were answers coming and it probably wasn't with the timing that I wanted either. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I wanted an answer right away and it came over time. Fast forward a couple of years and I left the venture capital world and, and now run a ministry full time with my wife and we, we're both writers and uh, you know, it's not, I, I don't want to paint a, a picture of everything's perfect, but that discontent is gone. I love getting up on a Monday morning. I love being in the in the in the flow of what God is doing in the life of a man that's hurting. I write mostly to men, right. and they're just a lot of guys out there that are hurting. They're isolated, that are discontented, like I was, that are facing financial pressure, especially right now, relationship pressure, facing health uh, issues, and uh, I just love being a part of what God's doing in their lives. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that's the short version of my background. Yeah, you wrote one book about venture capitalism, right? Yeah, I wrote that in two thousand two. Yep. So quite a while ago. And yeah, quite then, a while ago. And then you wrote the first book of the Wire Ministry last year, right? Yeah, that no, that actually came out in 2017. 2017. Um, and then this one came out, yeah, spring of 2017. And then this one, spring of this year. And then there will be another one that comes out in fall of next year. So at least three books in this kind of series. There may be more, but three planned out right now. So how did you get the concept of the astronauts? You know, when I was first talking to publishers about writing a book, um, you know, I had written the book uh, that you talked about uh, on venture capital that that released in 2002 in a completely different world, uh, especially the publishing world is very different. You know, these men, these same men who were kind of encouraging me to ask God, you know, identity questions were also encouraging me to go back into writing. And so that's what that's I did. I, that's what my heart wanted to do. And they saw it more clearly than I saw it. Um, but uh, when I started first talking to, to publishers about books and about men and about men's ministry, they said, oh, man, men are really tough to write to. Uh, most Christian books are written by men, but they're read by women. And so you need to write to both men and women. And I felt like God had given me a message. It was for men. And so uh, I felt like it would be disingenuous to market something to women when I really didn't, I didn't feel like this particular, and my wife and I have done a bunch of things that are both targeted towards men and women, but this particular message around these three books, I felt like were sort of targeted to men. And so the publisher said, well, here are the difficulties. Men are tough to reach from a marketing perspective, Christian men. 
they don't read a ton of books two and then three when they do read books you know their wife gives them one a friend gives them one they pick it up you know from uh, you know from a recommendation or something like that they don't tend to finish them and so i thought well i don't know i I wasn't looking at the data i was just taking this on faith from from some publishers and um i said i don't know if any of that's true but i at least want to create something that um counters what is true in those three statements you know, in the wire devotional, this uh, email devotional that we send out twice a week, um, we've done a pretty good job of reaching men. And so I don't know if that first one's so true, but to the extent that Christian men don't read a ton of Christian books and don't tend to finish them, I think there is some truth in that. And so I wanted to create something that they hadn't seen before. I wanted to create something that was a lot of fun to read and created momentum and pulled you into the next chapter, you know, when you finished one. And and uh, it was just fun. And so uh, the first book in the, in the series is called Invention. And it's all about identity. Surprise, surprise. It's my story. But it's also the stories of these seven, you know, industrial revolution era in, uh, inventors. You know, guys like, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Edison and Guillermo Marconi and, and uh, Alexander Graham Bell. And uh, they provide, one, it's just interesting, I think. It's just interesting stuff to read. And that's certainly been the feedback from guys who have read those books or read that book. Um, but they also just provide a great kind of analogy and stories around, you know, God-given identity. Um, and so when I, this next book, this, this one I just released called Odyssey, um, is all about taking a journey, uh, figuratively or literally to meet God. So that, you know, because men, modern men, modern Christian men these days, take so much on second and third hand by sitting in a in a in a sermon and hearing somebody else tell their story uh somebody else talk about god but men are just wired to go see things for themselves you know that's when that's when um something has a ton of credibility which is when we experience it for ourselves that's when our hearts are changed and so this book is an encouragement to men again figuratively or literally Uh, like you did, you know, literally just, just jumping in the car, hitting the road, you know, heading off into the desert like Jesus did and, and meeting God somehow, you know, I mean, every, it'll it'll look different for everybody, but somehow in the silence and the solitude and the, you know, in the walking and the driving, you know, we encounter God and we establish a relationship that's face to face. So that's the greatest adventure any of us can ever take. No question. I mean, any human being to meet God. So I wanted you know, if I was going to try to make this fun and add some cool stories in there, I wanted to use something that was at least close to that. And I figured the the greatest physical journey, you know, man has ever taken, which is, you know, first into Earth orbit and then all the way to the moon. I figured that would be a good one. And, and I also knew there were going to be a bunch of these guys who were men of faith, all six astronauts um, in this uh, in this book are, come from the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo era, kind of this golden age of, of, of space exploration in the mid-century, uh, um, mid-20th century. Um, but they were also, all, I chose all, all six men who were men of faith. And they, again, provide great stories and great analogies. And they're inspiring, but they're also guys just like us. So it just, it just fit, you know, it's just a lot of fun. No, so a, a funny story about your book, um, about two weeks ago, I had an argument with a friend who's never really an argument, but he was like, I don't believe that people actually landed on the moon. And oh, I was yeah. Like, yeah. I was, like, oh. I was like, okay, all right. And so I, I said, okay, read this book and just 
taking their reactions and he's like, okay, there's no way they did not go to the moon after reading the book. <laughs> funny. That's great. I hear that a lot. You know, it's funny. It's, it's sometimes it's serious and sometimes it's kind of in jest. Um, but uh, there are a thousand ways to prove that men did live. I mean, there, there are markers on the moon right now that are reflective that telescopes can see, you know? And I mean, it's, it's like, you know, we, we put those there and we can prove this stuff. So for the people who don't know about the book, what astronauts did you write? And like, which kind of one do you feel like you related to the most? That's a great question. I, so um, I would say the, the one that I, I, so the book starts with John Glenn. So he was the first American to orbit. Um, I think, and it might just be the time that we're in, you know, this crazy pandemic, um, the era of the pandemic, you know, because, uh, and maybe that's why I resonate so strongly and, and just had a lot of fun writing that chapter about John Glenn. I, he was a guy who, um, you know, he was a man of science. He was a man of engineering. Um, he trusted he trusted engineering so much that he, you know, faced the prospect of death at supersonic speed. Um, and uh, and yet he was a man of faith too. And that faith was deeper than his trust of science and engineering. Um, and so whenever he was looking at the world, and and we talk about this in the book quite a bit, when he's looking at the world, he was always trying to kind of peer through the world. So peer through the physical and see the supernatural sitting behind it. And I felt like, you know, so many men, including me during this time, have been asking, you know, like, is where's God in all of this? Where's God in this pandemic? Where is God in this, you know, in relation to this virus that's, uh, you know, just a plague on the on the earth right now? And this book, you know, I think in a, in a in a very practical way gives men the ability to to establish a relationship with God where they can ask those kinds of questions, and perhaps you know expect answers. Um, so that that would that was sort of the one that I had the most fun writing. I'd say the one that I connected with the most was actually Charlie Duke. So it was the last chapter. Um, he was one of the last astronauts. Um, uh, so John Glenn was one of the first. Charlie Duke was one of the last. Uh, Charlie Duke was part of the Apollo program and. And he wasn't, he wasn't on the last uh, mission, uh, but he was on the second to last mission to the moon. And um, this is a guy who, you know, uh, a very young age, all these guys were so young. Um, you know, they, they fly to the moon, they hit the pinnacle of their career, and then they think, what next, you know? And, uh, you know, and you got your whole life almost ahead of you and you've kind of, everything's downhill, you know? I mean, what are you gonna do that's gonna be bigger than going to the moon, you know? And so. So Charlie really struggled and, uh, and and spent a lot of time trying to climb the ladder of success, as he put it. So in business, and he and and so he just went from one ladder to the next ladder, looking for meaning and purpose and joy and peace and security and all the things that we you know try to pull from life or things that are actually life. He was trying to pull it again from you know from business. And it was just a disaster. It was a train wreck in his marriage and his personal life. And he was very, he has been, he's still alive. He and his wife, Dottie, live down in Texas. And I got to interact with, uh, with them a little bit. But uh, they're very transparent. You know, their, their, their marriage was at the point of breaking. And Charlie would say it's because of his uh, drive to achieve and his drive to try to find meaning and purpose and joy and peace and love through achievement. And I really resonated with that. I feel like for 20 years of my life, I was doing something similar and God turned it all around like he did for me. And so I really resonate. There was a moment where Charlie is in his car with his wife 
and he just decides to decide. He just, he just knows that he knows. He just says, you know, I want to give my life to Jesus. And everything changed since then. His, you know, the, like me, I mean, the, the discontent is gone. Relationships are restored. And it's, a, it's just a great testimony. And so that's, that's probably the one that I resonate with the most. Yeah, they were all just wild men who decided, hey, I'm going to hop into space. Did you watch the SpaceX NASA launch this weekend? I did. I did. What a huge milestone. It was, it was amazing. I mean, it was funny because I don't know if, uh, if a lot of people appreciate what a huge milestone it is to put an American and an American rocket and, and for the first time, a, you know, a commercially made rocket. It's cool. I think it's going to open up a whole new golden age of, of space exploration. So I'm, I, was, I was just really pleased that everything went so well. I mean, you've talked about men the whole day, but what would kind of be the biggest thing that men are struggling with right now? So I think I think the biggest thing is it's actually not the topic of this book. This this book is is about establishing a personal relationship with God. Um, I think the I think the biggest thing guys are struggling with, and I think the easiest thing actually it may not a lot of guys are going to think I'm crazy for saying that, but the easiest way, the most predictable way to bring the truth and goodness and light and life of God into your life is by getting together with another man. Um, I think men are lacking community. I think most of us are isolated. Most of us are fearful about opening up about what's really going on in our lives. And we're struggling with shame and messages like we don't have what it takes. And, uh, you know, we better, you know, everything, every, our whole identity is wrapped up in our achievement and the things we own. And um, those, those things are broken down fairly quickly in, uh, in community. And so I just, I tell guys all the time, you know, like get together with one other guy, be super honest about what you're struggling with. And man, when Jesus says, you know, we're two or three gathered, I'm there. I mean, he's omnipresent. He's in every moment, but he is uniquely there when we are honest with other men and uh, let guys into our lives. And I know guys struggle with it, but um, and, and people resist it. I did for so many years. But once we relent and say, okay, I may not have this all together. I may not have it all figured out. Um, and we go get together with another man or a group of men um, and, and are honest, man, things change so fast. So that's, that's my, you know, that's the tip of the spear, I think, for most men. That's the thing that most guys just are going to are going to experience a ton of revival in their life, ton of restoration. Do I just get together with another guy and being honest? So what would you say to someone like me? I just graduated from college in December. I was lucky enough to not have an online graduation. But what would you, oh, what man. would your yeah, what would your advice to be someone like me in my situation? It's funny. I have I have a 18-year-old who's just graduated from high school and is going to be heading off to college next year and and uh, I want to give him advice uh, about sort of, you know, what's important in life and, and, you know, what to focus on. And a lot of the things that culture is telling him are most important, I don't believe are most important. Um, you know, I, I, I had the drive to create my own kingdom uh, just burned out of me because it's so painful. You know, you pursue that for so many years and you realize how much the promise is just, it's going to come up empty. Um, and my, my son always tells me, uh, 
you know, you, that's just so depressing, Dad. You know, like. <laughs> and so I, I think, I think I've changed some of my advice to to younger guys. I, I, I feel like the world is, you know, the world as God created it, created it is an exciting place. Um, it can be a scary place, but it's not so scary when you're walking with your dad. You know, there's a uh, there's a security that when we live in sonship and when we view ourselves not as little gods in our own little fiefdoms, you know, making all the making all the decisions, but also facing all the consequences. When we realize that we're actually walking with a beloved, with a with a outrageously loving God, and that we are beloved sons and daughters. Um, the world is bigger, both bigger and more full of wonder and mystery. That's a lot of what Odyssey is about. Um, but it's also safer because you're with your dad. You know, you're walking next to your father, and in every moment, you know, in the in, in the in the tough meetings and the tough phone calls and the, you know, the um, the inevitable uh, tough situations in the working world, but in tough you know, uh, situations in relationships as well. You know, if you can walk into any situation and know you're walking in with your dad, and I know it's tough for guys to, you know, to, to sort of view themselves that way. They want to be a man and not need anybody. But the reality is that scripture says this all over the place, that we are sons and daughters of, uh, you know, geez, the creator of the universe. That's a pretty cool thing. And if we can bring him with us, into a tough class or a tough, you know, a tough uh, meeting. That's just a, it's a game changer. So um, I don't know. I, I want to encourage younger folks that, uh, you know, that the, the, the world is, is an amazing place. Like I say, full of mystery and wonder and wonderful things. Um, but uh, uh, you know, pain too, you know, and that's when my, my son always goes, dad, you're so depressing, you know, but the pain is good. You know, the pain forges us. It's the fire that forges us into the kind of people we need to be. I don't know who I'd be. I don't know who you'd be sitting here talking to if I didn't have some really painful things that I've gone through in my life. And so avoiding that pain is a, is a mistake. Letting it work like scripture says in the beginning of James, you know, let let the hardships come and let them work so that we can be mature. That's a really, not only mature, but free. Um, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. It may not be the most exciting thing, but there's a ton of wisdom. Yeah, that is definitely countercultural. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Gosh, our culture says avoid pain at all costs, you know, numb it, medicate it, deny it, run from it, you know. And that's just, you know, pain ain't so bad. Pain's a really, pain's a friend. You know, it's not a fun thing to talk about, but it is. And you work with your wife. How, what would your advice be to someone who works with their wife? You know, y'all started a ministry together. So, you know, I bet I, I mean, obviously, or not obviously, but I'm single. So I have no idea. But I know there's married people who listen to this who work with their wives. Yeah. Like, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, so um, I I have no idea. You know, I mean, I was I felt very called to this. There was no question that uh, you know that I go back to that time um, when I and I have never been out of men's community since that time. I was for most of my life, and then I got in, and I've never been out. But back to that really fruitful time where those guys were speaking a ton of identity into me, a lot of truth into my life. Um, I felt very called to to work with my wife. So, um, and, and that's just been confirmed so many times. A lot of people aren't, you know, a lot of people, you know, God has other plans for them. And, and, and it, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's a, it's a, 
it's his design for marriage. His design may be that, you know, a, a, a man is working in one area and a woman is working in another area, or, you know, they're somehow sharing the, uh, the, um, the rearing of kids. So uh, I, I don't know about other people, but I do know that in my own life that God wanted that. Um, and I feel that as strongly as I felt anything. And it's worked. I mean, it's not perfect. You know, it's tough working with your wife sometimes. I think one of the toughest things is shutting things off. You know, we uh, will hang out sometimes and just go drink a beer together just to have a conversation that's not work. And uh, we get excited about it. We love what we do. And so, so many, so often we find ourselves, sl- you know, slipping into talking about work again. And we're like, oh gosh, we got to stop this. You know, there have to be some boundaries. It can't just be work all the time or there's no, you know, it's not healthy. So, um, that's been one of the toughest things, but uh, um, I don't know if I have any advice. I, my advice is always just, man, follow, you know, follow as closely as you can your, your king and your father, and, and, and they'll help you sort it all out. What has been some of the most rewarding times through you running Gather Ministry? So I talked about that discontent and talked about how I was, you know, this was probably 2010, 2011, something like that. I was drowning in it. I look back and I, you know, I kind of, during that time, I kind of, I think I was rationalizing it thinking, this is just what it's like to be a man. You know, I have kids now and I have a wife and a lot of guys hate their jobs. And this is just sort of what it, what it is like, you know, and this is what I'm supposed to be is just put your head down and grind and, and, uh, I look back and I realize how, how sad I was actually, um, and just sort of managing all that sadness and fear. Um, so when I compare that time to now, I just, man, I, I, I'm just grateful for every day, every day that I can, can, can continue doing what I'm doing, which is writing. I'm a writer. That's just what I do. I mean, we do a lot of other social media stuff and technology, but at the end of the day, when I get time to write, and write about how good God is, especially to men and telling them how good God is. I'm just so happy. So people will sometimes come and say, Hey, what what does your next five years look like? And I'm like, I don't know, man, if I can get up tomorrow and do this again, I am a very, very happy person. Um, So to answer your question about what have been some of the most meaningful times, I'll tell you the most meaningful thing is just to be able to have a place and a position in God's kingdom and to be able to exercise my gifts there every day. Um, you know, some of the exciting things. I, I, I like writing books. I like completing books. I don't like launching books. I don't like the marketing so much, um, you know, telling people why they should buy it. Um, I do believe in the product. So, you know, I, that makes it a little bit easier, but um, I like the writing. I just like getting in and researching and putting words together and putting an argument together and, and then worshiping, you know, I mean, these, these words are, are, are one way that I worship. You know, it's one way that I tell God how good he is and tell other people how good he is. So I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but I just, I'm just grateful for every day. Thank you. All right. Well, I wanted to ask one venture capital question because I know yeah, sure. my people will love to hear. So um, I guess kind of two. One is venture capital dying. Oh, it's sure changed. I mean, it is radically different from when I was doing it. I mean, you know, I, I, I got off the last board uh, of the last company that I invested in. Uh, it's a company called All Trails. It does an app for kind of outdoor stuff. 
love I, all trails. That was probably 2000. Yeah, those guys are great. I, I just, I had a fun time with those guys. Um, but uh, I, I, that was probably 2017. But I had really pulled myself out of venture capital. I wasn't making any new investments uh, past probably 2012, something like that. So I feel like in the last eight years, the world has changed drastically. Who, you know, there used to be a set of, of venture firms that were the firms that the best companies would go to. And that roster, there are still a few names on there that are the same as they were 10 years ago. But for the most part, that roster of kind of top tier funds has changed completely. And the structure of deals has changed completely. And so, um, so I don't think it's going anywhere. I mean, we still need to put money into, into behind, you know, young, smart, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that are, that are going to go kick down doors and kick down walls. We still need to do that, but is it changing? Absolutely. You know, and probably changing for the better. Uh, there was a, there was a, a sluggishness to venture capital, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that isn't there today. So I think there's some, there's some, some efficiencies that are being brought in uh, that needed to have come. So. Thank you. Yeah. And then the last venture capital question is how would, what would your advice to be that someone, you know, the smart, young, yeah, yeah, that would want to present and get money from a venture capital firm? Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, geez. Um, oh, so many, you know. I mean, um, I think, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, when, when we talk about kind of God-given identity, I think it's so important that entrepreneurs focus on stuff that they, are, that they know and that they are very passionate about there is a tendency among entrepreneurs um, to go find something, you know, and, and something can often mean the most obvious thing, you know, the next thing, and just sort of, you can get it, you, you can kind of get to an idea from an iterative process. You know, my wife and I, this is kind of out of context, but the analogy is pretty good. My wife and I were, were doing these devotionals, wire for men and loop for women. And we thought, well, what's next? Maybe we'll do a podcast. Well, what should we do a podcast on? Well, we'll do it on marriage. We're a married couple and we'll kind of bring our, our platforms together. We never prayed about it. You know, there was nothing in identity about it. And it was horrible. We, we did about 10 episodes and finally gave up. Um, a few years after that, we did a uh, podcast um, that we felt like God was calling us to called Rush. And we've done 104 of those episodes and had about a, a million uh, episodes downloaded at this point. And it was tremendously, you know, fun for us and, and I think, um, you know, well-received by our listeners because it was kind of in our, in our identity. So I would say that is, is, you know, folks have been prepared since they were young to do certain things in their life. They have a journey and looking backwards to look forwards is really important. You can say, who am I? What have I been prepared for? What do I have authority to do in my life? And then, you know, use that preparation as a map you know going forward um so i think that's that's a big that's kind of a big deal um and then you know i just i think taking a ton of risk you know i just i'm a big believer especially when you're young young of taking a lot of risk a lot of guys would come to us and say you know if you if you'll fund me um you know i'll quit my job you know there is google or facebook or something like that and we would always say look you know as an entrepreneur you have to take the risk first First, you leave your job and then we'll fund you. It just has to be. It's your company. You got to take the risk before anyone else. You have to lead with, with, with that risk taking. And so I'm just a big believer in take. I come from a family that loves taking risks. My dad, 
you know, is a, is a, both an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist. And, and he just taught me how important taking risk is. So, you know, when you're, when, you, when you're uh, hanging it out there and uh, you know, doing something that you really believe in, I mean, that's often the sweetest part of the entrepreneurial journey. You know, a lot of people will think the sweetest part is, you know, the IPO or the acquisition where everyone gets paid. But often it's not, you know, often the best part is the early part when you're taking big risks and you're doing them for the right reasons. And I guess one thing, I'll, I'll add one more thing, very important, I think, is that, you know, on the note of that right reasons, um, it should always be to help somebody else, you know, whether it's, whether it's helping them, you know, because they can't build code um, and, and they have a, a, a glaring problem um, in their life, you know, maybe they, maybe they need, you know, somebody's building a new, I don't know, calendar app and, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, pulling something out of my, out of the air. Um, I, I, you know, it should always be focused on helping somebody else. Um, when we're sitting there developing something because we, and the driving force is we want to make a lot of money. It's just a, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. The money may come, but I think the, uh, the right order of things should be that you are passionate about helping somebody else whether it's a big you know thing or it's a calendar app i don't know you know all trails you know helping people get outdoors i think i think you know that that drove those guys they cared about their users and they wanted to enable that um and so i think the right reasons is an important part of 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 a successful but also a happy entrepreneur yeah i, I understand that because i've you know, I graduated college and I had a few ventures that, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to make money. I'm going to go. And then, you know, Corona hits and you're just like, it kind of just makes you realize, like, I yeah. don't really necessarily care about those things. You know, I just was chasing the money. And then, you know, eventually I was like, hey, I want to start this podcast because I want to help other people. and I don't think I've ever put in so much work into something in my life yeah. because, yeah. you know, you talked about, you know, journeys in your book. And I feel like this is one big journey for me of talking to people, learning about, and then sharing that information and, you know, forms that people like seeing, hopefully. And yeah, that's, that's been, exactly right. All right. I have five rapid fire questions. Um, you cannot, uh, Molly Rollers, you can't say your wife for the first one. So, who is the most inspiring, influential person in your life? You know, I think my dad. I got, I got a chance to work with my dad for a lot of years. Um, maybe a tie between my mom and my dad. My, my mom died when I was 21, and up until 21, my mom was, the, was just the, the person who inspired me more than anyone. She was a, a woman of God, but she was cool and fierce. She was the, she was the coolest person in any room that she walked into. Um, after that, uh, after she passed away, which was horrible, uh, she died of leukemia. Um, you know, my dad and I became really close friends and I just learned so much from him. When I was in my 20s, I thought I knew everything. He didn't know anything. And uh, spending a lot of time with him over the past, you know, 25 years, uh, I've learned how much he knows. And uh, it's just been, it's been uh, very rich, you know, uh, developing that relationship. He and I didn't have a perfect relationship when I was in high school, but after that, after my mom passed away, we became very close. What's your favorite book? 
Oh man, my favorite book. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to John Eldridge. You know, I think, uh, you know, Wild at Heart, a lot of men will say this. It was the first, I grew up in the church. It was the first book that kind of put the gospel in a language and into a framework that I felt like every word in scripture applied to me. It gave, it, he put it in masculine language and, and he made, made it make sense. And so it just opened up you know, the gospel in a way that it hadn't been accessible, I feel like, to me, you know, prior to that. So I got to say that. It's probably the most influential book in my life other than the Bible. I definitely am going to reach out to him and, you know, have him on and pick his brain, hopefully. Yeah, he's doing a lot of podcasts these days uh, with his new book. Fantastic book, by the way. Uh, Recover Your Life or Get Your Life Back, I can't remember what it is. But uh, um, yeah, anyway, so that'd be great. Yeah. All right, what is your favorite song right now or let's say your jam yeah oh my gosh so i think you know it's funny i i have i have a ton of playlists for guys um on uh, on spotify and so uh, at our they're all available on our website you guys can um, subscribe to these so i listen to a lot of different music i love kind of americana um you know i love you know kind of the intersection of, of blues and rock and and uh you know uh country um but i also love worship music and and i I wouldn't have said that uh you know probably 10 years ago um i was always the kind of guy who you know during the worship part of the service i was kind of looking at my watch but i've i uh some some friends kind of taught me what worship was really about and so i really like worship music and the the worship song that i have on repeat these days is called the blessing and uh you know the second half of the song is just the blessing they just you know talk about you know uh, they're singing a blessing over all the listeners and they're just saying, you know, uh, you know, about God's favor on your family and your children and their children and their children. And they sing it over and over. And I just, man, I just can't get enough of it. I feel like it's God's heart wanting to bless us. And I just uh, soak in that song a lot. That was a long answer. <laughs> oh, you're good. Um, what time do you wake up at? I wake up at about 6.30. So, uh, you know, that's what time the my wife gets up and the family, you know, our youngest daughter usually gets up, our two boys, you know, it's, it's you know, they're, geez, they're, you know, trying to do homework from, from home um, and school from home. They probably get up around noon, but the rest of us get up at around 6.30 and get rolling around, you know, you know. And, and also I've been doing a ton of, you know, interviews and podcasts and stuff and I'll do some radio shows and, you know, it's a morning show on the East Coast, and so I have to get up at like 4.30 to do those, but uh, typically on an, on an average day, I'm up at 6.30. All right, last rapid fire question. What is your favorite exercise? Are you talking about physical exercise? Yeah, physical, like bench yeah, press, yeah. deadlift, hiking, um, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. So I would say hiking is probably my favorite, except for one other one, which I've, which I've only been doing for probably about five, six years, something like that, is mountain biking. I love mountain biking. So my wife and I get out and, and we mountain bike together and love that. But we, we do a lot of hiking too. I, I just need to get outside. To, you know, I'm not the best. My wife is much better at exercising, you know, in, inside our inside our house. Um, I love getting outside. So I'm gonna say mountain biking number one. Well, um, Justin, I, I want to say before I go, um, I found the wire when I felt really burnt out. I was burnt out at church, and so, you know, I 
I look forward to the uh, daily devotionals and then, you know, in time, I was able to get back into church, into the community. But, you know, your devotional definitely helps me on that step. Wow, that's huge. I love that. That's my heart. You know, I just, it, it's for guys who are burnt out on religion and burnt out on Christian language and everything. And so I try to wring all that out of there. So I'm really pleased to hear that. Yeah.